Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 190, January 10th, 2015. So today we're revisiting IDW's ongoing series and we get to find out some more about this Q crossover. Right. That uh, that prior episode where we did the first issue was uh, very tantalizing. It was just a it was just a little taste of what was going to happen in this story arc, and quite a few interesting things have happened in the next three issues. Right, so much that uh, I am really looking forward to the the last of the series. Yes, I just really hope they don't ruin it somehow with a lame ending. But I think I think they're mostly hitting on all cylinders in, in it so far. Right. Agreed. I, I have a... Well, I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, I wish Q was in it more than he is actually in it. But I guess he is playing the part that, that Q normally plays, which is more of the spectator and then poking to bear every once in a while kind of thing. Right. Well, I agree with you. And I, I don't want to talk too much ahead about this, but I don't want to ruin things. But in that same way where Q's not doing a lot, Kirk's not doing a lot either so far. I mean, well, I don't want to go into it too much, but he's pretty much a passenger in the story so far, in the first uh, four issues, in my right. opinion. Well, he, like us, just playing catch-up on, on what the heck's been going on this, this sure. last couple, this sure. last hundred years. And there's a lot of things going on that the fact that the ship's so old... Um, I mean, there's not a lot he can do so far. Just so long as, at the end of the day, he or Spock or somebody can do something to really alter the course of events. Because so far, they haven't done anything. True. Um, They're just along for the ride. Uh, It's either Q is pulling them along, or Cisco's pulling them along, or Takat's pulling them along. Uh, The founders, I mean, it's like everybody's just Pulling the the Taz folks around like uh, like a bunch of puppets, so hopefully they'll be able to start doing things more proactively. Agreed. But it's still great. I'm not saying this is bad. I'm just saying I'm looking forward to them being more proactive in the in the last two issues. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm enjoying this more than I've enjoyed some of the uh, the ongoing stuff, and 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 the ongoing has always been some of my favorites. So. Yes. This is this is up there as far as enjoyment level is really high. Yes. I, I think I'd have to think back about the other, you know, thirty five issues or or so, or thirty four issues. But I think this is probably my favorite story arc so far. It's definitely their their longest and, you know, most original. Yeah. It really reminds me a lot of Countdown. So in, in, oh, in the original good. countdown. Yeah. So, we're we're getting to know people that we already know, but but not quite you know right. the way we remember them. And, and that versions. countdown was like that as well, and I really enjoyed it. That's a very good that's a very good point. And even the countdown went down very interesting paths, 
like, uh, okay, here's a scenario, reboot time, uh, but how did it happen, and uh, who does what? There's a lot of possibilities that are very interesting. And again, I agree with you. In Countdown, I think they made a lot of very good um, choices and came up with a very compelling story, uh, like this story arc. Right. Shall we get back to it? Yeah, you want to just let us get to the issue itself? Let's do it. All right, so I have the honor of doing uh, issue 36. It came out August of 2014, entitled The Q Gambit Part 2. The uh, writer was Mike Johnson, art by Tony Shaston, story consultant Roberto Orki, letters by Neil Yutaki, and edits by Sarah Gatos. So there's there's two covers. There's the art cover, which shows a headshot of Cisco with his bald head and a goatee. Uh, behind that, we see Chris Pine's Kirk, and behind him, we see the head of uh, Zachary Quinto's Spock. And uh, these three heads are superimposed over a shot of Deep Space Nine, and then behind all of this, we see the open wormhole. And then the photo cover is just a picture of Q, John Delancey, from uh, a Voyager episode. He's wearing the uh, Voyager um, captain's uniform. So the story starts with the Enterprise being brought forward into time by Q as of last issue. And they're approaching a space station known as Deep Space Nine. Or that's how we know it. But uh, its original name was Terok Nor. So from the station, a fleet of Dominion craft are approaching. The Enterprise is unable to go to warp, and the alien craft soon overtake the ship. Q pops onto the bridge and tells Kirk that this is not the no-win scenario that he wishes Kirk to take, and then he fades away. The ship is soon boarded by Jem'Hadar. An unspecified red shirt is blasted by several of the Jem'Hadar. Uh, but the rest of the crew is taken into custody unharmed. Later, the Enterprise has been docked with the station, and Kirk is marched into the office of its commander, none other than Gold Dukat. Dukat fills Kirk in a bit on what Kirk is still struggling to understand. The Enterprise has traveled about a hundred years into its future. Dukat then states that the Enterprise's disappearance was one of the great mysteries of the Federation. He also points out that the war between the Dominion and Federation has ended long ago with the complete collapse of the Federation. With all of this news given to him in such a short time, Kirk is then taken to the brig and tossed in. When he adjusts to the dark, he finds that he's not alone in the cell. Uhura and Scotty are there as well, and they inform him that all of the science crewmen, i.e. blue shirts, were taken elsewhere, and there is no mention as to where all the other red and gold shirts are. Kirk also learns that there's another man in the cell with him, a human by the name of Benjamin Sisko. Elsewhere, McCoy, Spock, and all the other blue shirts are in a hangar and guarded by Jim Hadar. Not knowing what's going on or what to expect, Spock states that he would feel unease if he could. On the Enterprise Bridge, Goldicott sits in the command chair and talks about the charm of all the retro technology. Soon, he is informed that another ship is heading towards the station. They also identify it as the NX-74205 Defiant. Tukat orders all ships to attack. Back in the jail cell, a Jemadar opens the door and greets Sisko. He tells Sisko that it is time and then morphs into Odo. 
Odo contacts the Defiant and requests a beam-up of the five people. Kirk objects about leaving without the rest of his crew, and then Sisko knocks him out with a sucker punch, and they are beamed away. Once aboard the Defiant, Keiko is in the command chair, and she orders the ship to retreat at full speed. In the medical bay of the Defiant, Kirk wakes up to find Q dressed as a doctor. Q says that he was just checking in, and it reminds Kirk that you can never win unless you have something to lose. Once he fades away, Sisko arrives and feeds Kirk a bit more history of the Federation since Kirk's disappearance. He tells him that Earth is not what it once was, and we are flashed to a shot of the San Francisco Bridge with a huge Klingon logo on it, and with several Klingon ships floating above the city. To be continued. What? The Earth? Taken over by the Klingons? Amazing. A Klingon colony? Hmm. It's not what you thought. No. What an interesting turn of events. That's great. So we met Sisko, Odo, Dukat, and the Klingons are in charge of Earth. There's a lot of interesting things in this issue. There are. Hmm. And it is interesting to see the Jim Hadar being subservient to Goldicott without any type of uh, Vorta or anybody, you know, kind of being an emissary between the two. Right. But you so, can tell they don't like it. Can you? I didn't really get that feeling. I I thought in this issue, Ducat had to bring them to heal a little bit. Was it when they were on the when they were on the Enterprise and he was talking about the ship having a certain amount of charm and then the the Jemadar saying that he'll ask the founders if they can keep it as a trophy? Right. Okay, that's when when they said, okay, surely you mean interrogate the prisoner commander. You will need us to assist you. And then Ducat says, get out of here. Wait outside. Uh, That's that's the part I was talking about. Ah, okay. So, obviously, Cardassians and the Dominion are allies, but I still don't think... I mean, I think think there's still a little bit of... um, Okay, you're my ally, but, you know, you're still not us. You're still not officially part of the Dominion. I don't right. know. That's that's a feeling I got, but I must admit that's uh, there's not a lot of evidence to go by. Right. Well, I, as of this issue, did you have a clear idea as to at what time they arrived in the future? I mean, he says about 100 years, but, I mean... Because they didn't find the Dominion until, um, you know, Cisco found found the wormhole, right? And, and right. they did the whole wormhole aliens and moved Deep Space Nine closer to the wormhole away from Bajor. Um, so did all those events happen, but with the Cardassians still in control of the station? Or do we well, know that yet? Uh, I, I don't think we know that. And as a matter of fact, from a timeline standpoint, it almost seems like, the Jem Hadar might have come through the worm. Well, first off, it seems like the, wor- the Jem Hadar came through the wormhole quite on their own. Right. So it seems like the Dominion are the ones that did the initial travel into the Alpha Quadrant, as opposed to what happened, you know, in in the Prime Universe. Right. Um, and it also seems like it's been going on a little while. Exactly. So I mean, we've Earth's already fallen um, to the Klingons. To the Klingons. Romulus is... Oh, we haven't gotten to that point yet, have we? 
That's next mission. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the main thing is, uh, it, it seems to me, especially with things we'll find out in the next issue, it seems to me um, maybe this, maybe the the Gem Hadar and the Dominion have been over in the Alpha Quadrant longer in this scenario than it was in the Prime Universe we know and love. Right, which then makes me want to know what event with Kirk coming forward in time happened that that would have allowed that or not allowed that. Or do you think this is just more of you know the ripples of Nero's involvement in you know going back oh, and destroying Vulcan and stuff? I think it's completely. I think this is com- this is completely Nero's. Uh, incursion into the past that caused most of this. Okay. Now the only other thing is, it's is it Kirk and the Enterprise's absence that allowed the rest of it to happen? That's an interesting point. I mean, how often did uh, Kirk and Spock save the day in the original Taz cast? Um, if they're not there, then maybe some of the things happened that allowed the Klingons to. Um, take over Earth. I, I don't know. Right. But but obviously the the prime thing that made this new version of uh, of the galaxy is obvi- is Nero. Is Nero's incursion. Right. Yeah. The Yeah, I, I was just trying to figure out, you know, which of the two, you know, major time events caused caused this particular future, you know. I was trying to go back in time to try to un- unravel it a little bit, but I don't think they've oh. given us enough to try to unravel it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The two events. So obviously Nero. And Nero the other... and Enterprise going forward. Right. Okay. Fine. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So it's their disappearance, which is the only thing. The only second thing could possibly be is the Enterprise's disappearance from the past. Right. 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 And, and I then, think. And I think then we don't know. Right. And then we don't know this this big decision Q keeps hinting to. Is it something that Kirk has to decide here? Or is it something that he has to decide once he goes back in time and um you know, once he goes back to his normal time, is that is that when he's supposed to make the big decision that, that right. Q keeps talking about? It's good stuff. Yeah. I, I I like how they just they're they're not giving us the they're not giving us all the clues that we need yet. No. No. Um, it, it, we, I think we have plenty of surprises yet to come, even among, even beyond the the three issues we, we're going to be covering today. Um, and as far as decisions, was Kirk's decision to to basically remove Marcus, because basically Admiral Marcus in the second film was saying militarize Federation, um, and look at this cool ship we got, the Vengeance. Um, didn't like all the things he was talking about, but if things went more Marcus's way, which was, you know, from a moral standpoint, not the right way to go, would we have been in a better position in the long run when, um, when eventually uh, the Dominion came across? More advanced ships, who knows? Right. Yeah. If we had, if we had a fleet of vengeances, would would they have been able to? Would the Klingons have been able to take over Earth? Well, well, yes, and that's an interesting thing, because it sounds like... Yeah, definitely no toys about it. Well, okay, there's things we haven't gotten to yet. Right. <laughs> so we got to pull back a little bit. Okay, fine. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about other things, but come back to this. Okay. 
Uh, okay, so I want to know why did the Enterprise only have impulse power when the Jem'Hadar uh, attacked near the start? Why didn't they have warp drive? Uh, they they I mean, got hit, right? Well, I didn't thought they, this was... Well, okay, so... But they... Okay, maybe, but they didn't say that. I mean, they just said, we don't have warp drive. So... Okay, well, I'd have to... Okay, so maybe that's a, that's that's an explanation. Yeah, because I just cause... I just think it's extremely handy that they didn't have warp drive. Yeah, both. Yeah, right. Uh, um, maybe, now we know for the story, Kirk and company had to be captured, so we know that now. It's just it just struck me as very convenient that they all of a sudden didn't have warp drive. Yeah, I thought it was just that they were getting hit with the more advanced weapons, and, and it, it was able to inflict. It was able to more right. damage than they expected. Right. Because not having warp drive seemed to be a surprise to to everybody, but whatever. I was just wondering if the Cardassian or the Cardassian or the Jem'Hadar had some uh some warp dampening uh weapon that did that. I don't know. Yeah, not that I've ever heard of. Well, no, but yeah, this is a different scenario. Right. So, but anyway. but I'm glad you brought up that scene because that was one of the things I had a question about. What? Something else that we've never seen in Star Trek ongoing or the movies. He references Warp Factor 5. Oh! What? Oh. There's no warp numbers. It's just go to warp or you're not in warp. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Hmm. So good was, point. That was interesting. That was very good. I mean, is that just a decision of Mike Johnson, the writer, uh, or might they, might the movies allow a little bit of the old uh, warp factors to uh, slip back in? I hope so because uh, I like I like the idea that you can go at different speeds. Yeah, it just seems to make more sense. Anyway, and I don't think we necessarily need to dumb everything down, JJ, but for the audience, right. And just because they never said a warp number, that doesn't necessarily mean they they weren't doing it. So, in the in their defense, in the in this in Mike Johnson's defense, okay. But, but this Mike is first time defense. Yeah, you know that he wrote it in this this issue, right? Just because they never said it in the movies doesn't mean there wasn't it wasn't implied somewhere. <sighs> I don't know. I'm just saying. Okay, so you're backing off of your pre previous. Oh position. no, my previous my previous position is is that. They mention it here, and they've never mentioned it before. Right, and definitely in the second app, second movie, um, rather uh, <laughs> into darkness. <laughs> um, I mean, they Kirk said right out, "We're in warp." I mean, you've right. made the point several times. Um, you know, how can they catch up to us? Which would insinuate that there is no difference in speed once you're in warp. Right. Yeah. 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 I don't like that, but hopefully, okay. maybe in the movies they'll. They'll just start using warp numbers and, and act like they always have. Well, and I'll it'll be, be okay with it. It'll be interesting to see how much effect the new director has on the third movie. Right. Because we definitely have Orsi there. We definitely have JJ there in production roles. So, Oh, another thing that was interesting in an article I read, I read recently um, about the new um, the director, the new director of Star Trek 3. Of course, everybody's heard about this for ages by now. Uh, but 
it didn't it said that the movie was going to be produced by uh Paramount in association with blah uh, another company and it wasn't bad robot it wasn't bad robot now maybe that was a mistake in the article but i hmm. i would have thought that would have been bad robot productions but whatever they didn't mention bad robot productions when they mentioned who was producing it well, maybe bad robot is is bad robot producing star wars um, I, I would think that Bad Robot would be in the production credits. Uh, that's what I would expect, but uh, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, right. J.J.'s only doing one one movie, right? I don't know. Uh, okay. Or at least if he does do more than one, he'd be doing the prime one, not those uh, offshoots movies. Spin-off movies. Right. I don't okay, know. Whatever. Let's get back to this. All right. Okay. One red shirt dies, and Kirk stops defending the ship. Yep. I mean, and quite frankly, the Jem'Hadar weapons, I mean, yeah, they may be more effective than the older Taz generation uh, phasers, but come on. You put a phaser on Disintegrate, it's probably going to work just fine. <laughs> and there's a hell of a lot more people on that ship than there are Jem'Hadar, at least beaming onto the bridge. There's only three of them. So, right. I, I don't know. I mean, ultimately, they would have given up. Fine. But, you know, one guy dies, and you go, oh, I'm sorry, we give up. I don't know. I mean, yeah, Shat seemed, wouldn't have done that. Right. Shat wouldn't have done that. Uh-uh. He would I mean, have knocked we're... a few of them out before taken, being taken down. Good point. Anyway. And that kind of gets back to the whole idea that, to me, anyway, is that just... The idea that they are a little bit more realistic when it comes to fight scenes in the reboot thing. I mean, the original <laughs> Taws episodes, you know, and even in the movies, uh, you know, Kirk's taking on Klingons and, you know, five guys at one time, no problem. And at least they're a little bit more realistic with Pine. But I got to say, uh, Pine Kirk gets his butt kicked an awful lot. Anyway. So, they're more realistic, but you know, they're kind of going a little bit far realistic. I mean, Pine doesn't seem to be able to kick anybody's butt anymore. Well, now that he has Khan super blood, we'll, we'll, that'll probably change. Oh, well, we'll see. We'll see. But no, I agree with you that, you know, this one guy gets shot. Who's behind Kirk, yet somehow they shoot this guy and not Kirk. Right. Um, well, he's the guy with the phaser, but... Yeah, but still. And, and the other thing is, if you're a security guy... I mean, look at him. He looks, he's got a very stern look on his face, and he's advancing on the Jem'Hadar. What? You're one guy, they're three, and they look really scary. I would be standing right where I'm at and firing. Well, I'm not going to walk up to them. He's following the orders. Security. Phasers on stun. Take them down. Well, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Take them down with weapons. Oh. I thought it was hugs. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I just that I think that part could have been done a little better, but eh, whatever. Well, and the problem I have is that okay, all the blue shirts are in this hangar. Yeah. Where's everybody else? We see exactly two other people. Where? Yeah. They talk yeah. about the blue shirts, and they don't bother talking about anybody else. We see at least two red shirts, Ohura and Scotty, but we don't know where all the gold shirts are. Where's Sulu? 
Bye. Or, We're not going to even deal with you anymore. Or Cupcake uh, or any of the other security cup, officers. <laughs> cupcake. Good point. Even more so the red shirts. Where are the rest of the red shirts? And where's Carol Marcus? Kinzer? Um, well, she would be with the blue ones. Even okay, though well, we don't see her, but I would assume she's in the mix somewhere. I, I, I would, yeah. But isn't it interesting how... It's interesting that Mike Johnson had to make a decision about who he was going to let into the story and who he wasn't. Because quite frankly, O'Hara and Scotty, for a lot of these three issues, they're just in the background. Now, they do end up doing some stuff in, in the issues coming up, but they're pretty much along for the ride. So um, I guess you can't get too many people. You can't really get too many people involved or else they just end up being background dressing. Right. You know, window dressing. Right. Yeah, I just wish they would have at least acknowledged where they were. And why why Uhura and Scotty, out of all the people on the Enterprise, were the two that got put with Kirk. Good question. Now, it turns out they at least need Scotty later. But still, that's a very good question. Very good question. Yeah, because I don't think Scotty was even on the bridge, was he, when, when all this went down? I don't recall him being on the bridge. I mean, why would he be on the bridge? Right. Probably be in so, engineering oh, yeah. where he belongs. Keeping the uh, the coal fire stoked. <laughs> right. So when they were walking through the promenade, they show this uh, this this green-skinned gentleman kind of in the foreground of one of the panels. Just a green-skinned alien moping around. <laughs> I really wish that was Morn. I <laughs> Why could they not have put Morn in that that exact spot? I think Morn would be great. I agree with you. And this guy kind of looks like Morn, except for his skin color. But you could kind of see maybe that's where they were going with it. But it's not Morn. No. Well. But he would have been perfect there. Just some random dude walking in the promenade of this I alternate future. Agree. I completely agree. Oh, so think. Speaking of things that are unexpected. Um... Keiko O'Brien is the captain of the Defiant? Well, we don't know if she's with O'Brien at this point. But yes, Keiko is. Well, she's on the she's at she's in the con. I mean she's But they don't call her O'Brien, so we don't know if she's well, okay, if okay, O'Brien's so, in the future. So fine. So forget about the last name. Yes. Keiko. Keiko. But I mean I'm just identifying a character that was in Deep Space Nine. Okay. Okay, sorry. so Keiko. So Keiko's at the con. I think she's the captain, and okay, fine. So later on we find out she's the captain. But I thought that was an interesting choice of who to be the captain. I thought Cisco was the captain. I mean, I thought that was like Cisco's little spy ship or something, but apparently not. Right. And Good by point. the way, it does look very beat up. It looks beat up, but why is it called the USS Defiant and has an NXX, NX registry number if there is no Federation? Or if the Federation has collapsed or whatever that Goldcott was saying? Okay, so obviously, I guess, or I would assume, that that ship was commissioned while there still was a Federation. Okay. All right, well, we'll just have to – let's let's table that for now because I have a lot of questions about the next issue. Right, and the next issue does go into a lot more stuff about what happened to the Federation and everything. But I'm just saying, in this, this issue, it definitely has the same registry number, the same name – Okay. And it's just beat up, but... Right. Well, it's and it's probably beat up because the only people with resources to do anything with it would be the Klingons at this point. And maybe the Klingons are... Well, whatever. There's a lot of things explained in the next issue. 
Right. In the open channel section at the end of the book. So they got a nice little, you know, letters section at the back. And also, not only letters, but they actually, the editor and even Mike Johnson and, and I think the artist too, they were able to say a few things about the, the comics. Mm-hmm. There is one of the one of the letters that came in from one of the uh, readers uh, asked the question about um, whether they should have had Captain Archer and rather than going to Deep Space Nine, uh, wouldn't it have been cool if they could have gone to Archer's time and uh, you know dealt with the uh, Archer in the NX zero one rather than uh, Deep Space Nine period. Right. So, and when I read that letter, it was like, "Hey, Donovan, did, mm-hmm. is that is that guy's name Donovan? No, it isn't, but it should be. Should uh, be. I, yes. think, I think you might have actually brought that up uh, in the last, maybe in the last issue that we discussed this one, the first issue. But um, but they had a very logical response, which is, you know, this had to happen post Nero's emergence into uh, the past. So, right. So it made perfect sense why they didn't. But I, I thought it was quite entertaining that other people had uh, ideas that you did, Donnie. I'm not the only one out there. You're not the only one. Nice I mean, I, I like Archer. I like the Archer in the the Enterprise TV series, but you really like it. It's your number one, right? I wouldn't say my number one. I thought it was. I, I, I thought like it was. It. Yeah, okay. I mean, okay. it, it fluctuates. I like them all. Okay. Well, I, wait, so do I, but... I think okay. it's the most underrated one. I don't know. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Well, I agree with that. It was the most underrated, <laughs> yes, uh, from a Nielsen standpoint, too. But anyway. Yeah. Well... Which is unfortunate, because I, I did enjoy it. It still lasted a season longer than the original series, if you don't yeah. count the animated well, series. <laughs> and most people wouldn't, <laughs> even though important people do. Was it DC Fontana and other people have said that's the fourth... Yeah. Fourth season. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Anyway. My last thing is um, I really like the characterization of Goldicott. I think mm-hmm. they, they've they nailed it. He, you know, he's a little different than the Goldicott we know, but he's there's there's so much of what we do know in there that, that I'm really right. enjoying him. Yeah, and an extra dimension, though, is the fact that in the original series, there's the Goldicott we knew for most of the time, uh, who was obviously the bad guy. But not incredibly. He's pretty bad. But, you know, there were some times where, you know, he almost did the right thing from time to time. But then towards the end of the run, he became the really bad guy. And then especially when he was taken over by that um, whatever. There you go. That's the right name. Um, Then he was not so bad. I mean, he was taken over by those things. So this Galdicott kind of seems somewhere between the two extremes. Because he's a little crazy. He's got that big old scar right across his face. Uh, so he's got a big old huge scar diagonal across, a ragged scar across his face. So he has taken a nasty uh, nasty cut at some point. And a blind eye, it looks like. Yeah, what does that look? I mean, it's all milky. I yeah. mean, it almost looks like it's like cataracts or something, but I'm sure it's some. It's not that. Yeah, but it's on his scar side, so you would think that maybe he took a shot and it Oh, so part of that. Eye. Okay. Well, the At thing, least that's the way okay. I took it. So the main thing is, he looks nastier than he did in the TV show. And uh, he's a little crazy. And you'll really see how crazy he is towards the end of the uh, fourth issue. So, right. 
Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think the dialogue, another thing commented on in the letters is how well Mike Johnson tends to get dialogue for these characters. And I think he does. Um, the, the dialogue, especially Galdicott and others, it just m- seems to fit what we know about the characters very well. Right. Uh, and we've commented on uh, Q. I mean, when the depictions of Q are very spot on. Um, so good, good, great. All right, Next. and then my last my last comment is when it shows the blue shirts. There's two people in the uh, right behind Kirk and McCoy. Right. Uh, some just uh, some gentleman with a goatee and a, and a woman mm-hmm. with glasses. Right. And they're shown twice, and they're in the always in the exact same pose. <laughs> so I was curious, and they don't quite fit. So no. I was wondering who they were, but uh, in a later um, issue in the open channels, they they just they explain who those those two people are. They they uh, gave some money to a charity or something, and and asked to be in an issue. So. Right, they put them in, so it's kind of cool that they did that. Yeah, was this a comic book store out of Chico or something like that, California? It, it where, wherever their comic book store is from, it was a very small market, and I was kind of surprised. But that's cool. Very right, cool. yeah, Chico, California, right, right, right. B A T Comics and Games. There you go. There you go. But I thought that was that was pretty neat. That that, that was cool. Uh, yeah, they gave it to the the comic book legal defense fund. That's what it was. Oh, cool. What defense do they need? I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, but but definitely when I was reading through and I saw not so much the one to the left, but the the one more in the middle with the beard. Right. That guy caught my eye as a little different from all the rest, and yeah. I figured maybe he was just somebody in the production. You know. Uh, you know, one of the one of the one of the people involved in the production yeah, of, like the, a little of IDW. Egg. Yeah, right. right. But uh, yeah, I read that same thing in the back. So cool. Yeah, I thought the woman is the one that kind of jumped out at me because she's wearing glasses, and you don't oh, see that point. very often. No, uh, an allergy to whatever that stuff was. Whatever Kirk had. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. Uh, all right. That okay. was it. I just wanted to to bring that up. Okay. So I will do issue thirty-seven. The synopsis for it. This one uh, was published date September 2014. The writer, again, is Mike Johnson. Story consultant, Roberto Orsi. Art by Tony Shastine. Um, I didn't see any colors credits listed. Um, letters by Neil Yukitaki. Editor, Sarah Gatos. The one and only cover for issue 37 shows Q in a Starfleet uniform at the top. Below him, Worf is in unfamiliar Klingon clothes holding a scepter. A beat-up version of the Defiant streaks across the middle of the cover. At the bottom is Dr. McCoy and Spock following behind Kira Norris in an Amelia Earhart-style civilian uh, clothes. She is firing a Cardassian phaser. The issue opens with Kirk telling Sisko he thought he heard Sisko saying the Klingons conquered Earth. Sisko tells him he did hear him correctly. Unfortunately, the galaxy has changed a lot since Kirk disappeared from it about a hundred years ago. They landed a fine on a platform in front of San Francisco's Palace of Fine Arts, 
the old Roman-style building from the Panama Pacific Exposition of 1915 is worse for wear and has a Klingon flag flying from several of its arches. Sisko gives Kirk a history lesson that makes the following important points. A. The Dominion entered the Alpha Quadrant via a stable wormhole that originated from the Gamma Quadrant. The Cardassian Union quickly fell under the Dominion's sway and became allies. The Klingons and Romulans joined forces to fight the Dominion invasion. The Federation tried a diplomatic approach. The Dominion made it clear quickly afterward they were not interested in diplomacy. Rather than waiting for the Dominion to take over Earth, the Klingons did it, and the Federation made their last stand at Wolf 359. Sisko grew up under Klingon rule on an Earth renamed as Terra by their Klingon overlords. The only way off Earth and out to explore open space was via the Human Auxiliary Corps. So Sisko joined it and spent most of his career piloting cargo across the Empire as the Dominion War raged on. Sisko did move not only cargo but also information. Surprised, Kirk calls Sisko a spy. Sisko agrees and says he was on the space station to meet his partner in the Free Federation Resistance when he was captured. Kirk asks why Sisko brought them to Klingon-controlled Earth. Sisko says because he is on very good terms with the Klingons since he provides them with valuable information. Three Klingons, led by Kern, welcome Sisko and asks who the strangers are. Sisko introduces Kirk, Odo, Scotty, and Uhura. Kern says the Chancellor is ready to see them. Sisko says he wants to bring his new friends to speak to Kern's brother, the Chancellor. Meanwhile, McCoy, Spock, and other members of the crew are in hand restraints and all black clothing on a Dominion-controlled world called Bajor. They are discussing their situation. A brutal Cardassian guard knocks McCoy to the ground for talking too much. A dark-haired human in a long coat calls off the Cardassian guards and calls him to task for damaging the camp commander's workforce. The guard leaves and the mystery man removes his glasses and scarf to expose Dr. Julian Bashir. Introductions are made. When Bashir realizes who they are, he wants to introduce them to someone and fast. McCoy says he does not think they will be going anywhere for a while. Bashir tells him to leave that to me. During their walk to the Chancellor's pyramid-shaped palace, Kirk and company find out that Starfleet Academy is still intact but has been converted into a weapons R&D facility. They enter the palace and meet the Chancellor. Chancellor Worf! Worf is sitting on his throne, holding his scepter in one hand and two big guards holding batliths on each side of him. The Chancellor welcomes Sisko. Sisko says he has reports of Dominion schemes from within the heart of the Beta Quadrant. Worf says he is looking forward to hearing all about it and asks to be introduced to Sisko's companions. Kirk is introduced. Worf, who knows something of Federation history, knows of Kirk. Kirk tells how the Entity Q transported he and his crew forward in time. 
or says they may be of mutual benefit to each other. Meanwhile on Bajor, Spock and McCoy are discussing Bashir and wondering if they can get them out of there. A new snakehead monster, as McCoy likes to refer to Cardassians, approaches them, but quickly they recognize Q, who is now disguised as a Cardassian guard. Spock recognizes that Q can apparently change his appearance at will. Q says he hates to imitate Cardassians. Every time he does it, it makes him feel constipated. Q says he is there to reassure them their dire circumstance will not last forever. Their story is still unfolding. He assures them their captain and their other companions are alive and they will see them again. He cannot tell them any more since he does not want to ruin the surprise. What fun would that be? Ping! Q disappears in a showy white and yellow flash of light. Such a showman. McCoy says the next time that guy shows up, he's going to throw the Hippocratic Oath out the window. No harm my ass. Spock wholeheartedly agrees with the good doctor. Back on space station Tarek Nor, Dukat is informed that Sisko and the Federation officers that escaped have met with the Klingons. Dukat is more interested in the rebellion on Bajor and an artifact that rumors say has fallen into the hands of the rebels. Since the artifact could bring about the overthrow of the Dominion, Dukat is very interested in that artifact being in his hands. Meanwhile on Bajor, Dr. Bashir and a Ferengi named Quark stage an argument over inferior vaccines being supplied by Quark. The act convinces the Vortan in charge to let Quark leave to procure replacement vaccines. The guards leave and Bashir and Quark shake hands over the success of their little act. Julia reminds Quark that he wants word when their Federation friends have been delivered. Quark takes off. When he arrives at their destination, Quark lets Spock and McCoy out of the shipping crates they have been hidden in. Quark asks to see the ship of theirs. Kieran Arisa's hard but beautiful voice comes from behind them, warning the strangers that Quark just wants to sell the rare old ship for a huge profit to a collector. Kira welcomes them to the Resistance, as it is the closest thing they will find around here to the Federation they remember. McCoy asks if she can get them and their friends back to their ship. Kira says if everything goes to plan, they will not only save their friends and ship, but they will save the entire galaxy. Meanwhile back on Earth, Worf is telling Kirk and Sisko that he will discuss Sisko's latest intel and Kirk's unusual arrival with his advisory council. He says in the meantime, they will prepare rooms for them. Kern tells his brother, the Chancellor, he thinks not. Annoyed, Worf turns to find out what Kern meant by that. Kern says, there has been a change of plans. With ruthless efficiency, Worf's two bodyguards come up behind the Chancellor and drive their batleth through Worf's throat and upper torso. Red blood sprays out of the body. Betrayed by his brother and the house guards, the surprised Worf can do nothing but scream, Ah! and fall to the ground dead. 
Kern and the two bodyguards start changing their forms into changelings that look very much like Odo. The lead changeling tells Kirk his unexpected arrival forced their hand sooner than planned. Sisko says, no! Kirk asks, what is going on? The lead changeling completes his sentence, saying the Earth is now under Dominion control. To be continued. Oh my goodness. Oh my! They killed Worf, man! I was not expecting that. No, I was not expecting that at all. But that was always... During Deep Space Nine, that was always the problem with the changelings. The feeling of paranoia, that they could be anybody and inserted anywhere uh, within the Federation hierarchy. So obviously that happened with the Klingon Empire, eh? Yep. But I was just surprised they killed Worf. Right. I expected him to carry this franchise like he did, you know. Ah, Deep Space Nine? He did Deep Space Nine, yeah. <laughs> well, killing off such an iconic character like Worf, especially when there's, um, you know, violence to be done. I mean, Worf is the main guy to do it. Um, it was it was a shock. It was so bloody, too. I, I thought they handled it very well. Right. So the large panel where they show Worf getting it, I mean, it was... Mm. I mean, so they show the points of the Batliths coming out. So the Batliths go in in the back, and they show the Batliths coming out of the front of Worf. And his neck. Exa- well, his neck, yeah, his throat. So it comes right. out of his throat, one of them, and then the other one kind of comes out of his chest, his upper chest. And it's, ooh. And um, there's a red blood spray, which I have a little problem with, it being red. Um, but there is, like, Pepto-Bismol colored blood on, the, uh, on one of the Batliths that are out coming out of his throat. Yeah, and when you see the Batlist on the, the next page, they're all coated in the, the Pepto-Bismol, uh, undiscovered country blood color. Exactly, but, exactly. But yeah, when, when it's going in, it's definitely human red blood. Right. Which, I mean, so when it first comes out, is it that color, and then it changes to Pepto-Bismol purple? Or did they just make the dramatic decision that this is going to have a lot more effect on people when they first see it, if it's red? Right. It's probably the latter. Probably. And it was probably the right decision. Yeah, it got me. I was just like, what? (laughs) Yeah. So, pretty cool. How'd you like Q as a Cardassian? I thought they did a good job. I mean, he looks like John DeLancey with the makeup. (laughs) It does. And I like the constipation joke. (laughs) It was funny. (laughs) Although, since he doesn't eat, then how does he really know what constipation really is? Yeah, well, it's obviously a joke. Right. Uh, yes, which, is, uh, which is very Q-like. Yeah, no, again, characterization on everybody, I thought yeah. was great. Right. As far as characterization, I do wish that um, the Klingons here looked more like the, uh, you know, the Blingons from the, the new continuity and not look exactly like the wharf and Kern that we know right. from the past. Because if well, this is a different continuity... Yeah. Well, that's an interesting choice, isn't it? I think in the end, if they made... If they, if they made Worf look like a bling-on, it would have been... I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not so sure I would have liked that. Or maybe I would have liked it. I don't know. But obviously it was a decision they came to. And they did acknowledge it. 
um, when they first see the the Klingon, don't they actually say they look a little different from what we remember? Yeah, Kirk says it. It's just a little yeah. offhand joke. Right. So, uh, yeah, good point. They, you know, they had to make a decision about that. Inconsistencies right. from the franchise come to haunt these comic books sometimes. But, I mean, if you really think about it, every every Star Trek movie, the Klingons had a different look. I mean, look at the, the ridges on uh, Undiscovered Country. They don't look like the Next Generation and the Star Trek Three Klingons at all. They look like a completely different species with the... You know, well, their their ridges are are completely different than than what we had seen any other time. But but they have ridges, so they're you know probably close enough. If people aren't looking, sure, at them you knew side who they were. Side, yeah, just like most people watching the movie probably didn't really the the newer movie, yeah. uh, Into Darkness, didn't think that they were any different than than these Klingons, right? I mean, they the, the had next gen Klingons, the, right? Right, they had the ridges, they had the pointy eyebrows and, and the beard, so they're clearly right. right. So I would have just rather them not made that joke, maybe. You know, I don't, I don't oh, know. Oh, do, well, try not to acknowledge it at all? Right. And hope nobody notices? <laughs> well, everybody's going to notice, so... Well, yeah, I mean, the people reading this comic certainly are, except I just for... don't think making a joke of it makes it any better. Well, <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe not. But at least... You know, maybe they're just acknowledging it just to say that, you know, probably most people that read this are going to notice this. <laughs> right. You know, but so at least if we acknowledge it, at least we're not, you know, we're not, we're saying, hey, you know, we know you're going to notice this, but, you know, we know you know you, we know you're going to notice it, but, you know, like, <laughs> okay, well, here it is. Anyway. Right. So. I don't know. I just kind of would have liked to see Michael Dorn in that, in that Klingon makeup. Yeah. Well, that would have been interesting, and I'm sure they considered that, but – well, maybe they actually drew it up and they said, hmm, maybe this isn't going to work. Right. And then you know, you're used to seeing Kern a certain way, and they're – even during the history bit, they had um, – they, they showed one little thing that showed um, Galron. Oh, did uh, they? I missed it. Yeah. Oh, they, was that – is that Galron fighting with the, the Romulan? Yeah, it was Galron and the Romulan female, like back to back. It wasn't big, but when they when Cisco was talking about the history of what happened, uh, so they even showed Galron a little bit. Um, but you, you know, all three of those guys, you expect to see them look a certain way. Uh, and if they weren't that way, maybe it would have been fine, like you say. Maybe not. I don't know. Right. So I thought it was really interesting how the Dominions uh, was able to infiltrate the Romulans again, you know, with their shape-shifting abilities, and basically use their own red matter to destroy Romulus. That was interesting. That that was a nice stroke, um, because if you figure, I mean, this is a weapon big enough to destroy a planet. Um, I thought that was really interesting. The only thing I didn't like about it, and I don't know if they go into it as much... No, they don't go into as much in this issue, but they will in the next one. I mean, they make it sound like all the all the Romulans are gone. So, you know, there's no Romulan ale. Well, okay, so I'm, they'll make reference to it yet later. I mean, obviously the Romulans, they had a whole empire, right? I mean... Right. 
I'm, I'm jumping ahead, but they had a whole empire. They had plenty of planets around, you know. They were spread all over the place. So how could you not have, you know, almost not have Romulans anymore? It's kind of like the same thing with the Vulcans. Right. I mean, didn't the Vulcans, I mean, in the in the first movie, didn't the Vulcans have uh, colonies, colonies, other planets? I mean, were they right. that were they that concentrated on uh, on Vulcan? I don't know. Right, and then they make a comment in this one too that that Vulcans are now an endangered species. Yeah. Yep. You know, right. So. Right, I, I agree with you hundred um, percent. I still want to know. I, I, I call foul a little bit on the the, the history because because when did the Dominion come in and start taking over the Federation? I mean, was yep. it like right after the Enterprise disappeared? So about a well, hundred years ago. It sounds like it's at least prior to when Cisco was an adult. Well, before he was born, right? Because they said well, that he was, he was born, born on a on a Klingon colony world. Well, okay, so okay, fine. So even before, but at the very least, you see pictures of him as a young man when the Klingons. I mean, a young boy. Right. He, he's like ten years old, eleven years old, whatever he was. Right. Uh, okay, so good point. They said they said born onto it. Okay, fine. So you know it's at least that long, which which is what. 30 years after Kirk or something disappeared? I don't know. But it's been going on a while. Right. So how old would you say Cisco is here? Uh, he looks like he was... Well, he looks like he did when we left, when we when the series ended. So he was solidly into his 40s, right? Okay, so let's just say he was 40. So, so I, mean, I mean, it still gives you 60 years from the time Kirk disappeared to the time Cisco was born that that this whole war happened. But yeah, but I'm still like, man, that was. Uh, which which then still leads me to believe that Cisco or Kirk's <clears throat> big decision is really in the past. That maybe Kirk's decision in the past is what either is going to create this future or create one where the Dominion aren't going to be here. Right. Um, but we don't know. We don't know so, where his decision is supposed to be. Good point. So so he places Kirk back into the time point that they took him from, and then – or do they go even further back in time? Hmm. I don't know. Anyway, so it should all be very interesting by the time we get to the sixth issue of this uh, of this uh, arc. Right. Um, another thing that's kind of interesting, uh, Worf is the chancellor. Okay, now I thought the chancellor was basically like like the president of the empire. That's what I thought. Uh, but do they have chancellors in colony worlds too? So is 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 Worf the chancellor of the empire or just chancellor of the the conquered Earth? Kern calls him the supreme commander of the empire's. Terra colony. So oh, I think well, he's just okay. So he's just in charge of Earth. Earth. Right. Okay, fine. Okay, that. Okay, that that's cool. That makes more sense. Um. Uh, and the other thing is, at least in this issue, it doesn't say. It, I was thinking. Okay, so I don't remember them saying anything about Kronos. No. Nope. Uh, fallen, either fallen or not fallen. So when I was not sure about is is Worf you know, the head of the whole empire. Well, did they move the empire to Earth? That wouldn't have made no sense. Right. Uh, but anyway, so enough of those mistaken thoughts. Um, okay. 
That's the end of that. So speaking of mistaken thoughts, um, mm. when Bashir showed up, I got really excited because I was wanting them to say that Bashir was a genetically modified um, human, uh-huh, you know, okay. like like Khan, yeah, and that you know he was created to be like Khan to fight, you know, the, these Klingons and stuff. So I was really hoping that that would fall back, and then you know you would get McCoy and Spock, and then maybe even Kirk's opinion on you know the other side of having a superhuman. Which right. is, they've had to fight con. Yeah. So I was really looking forward to, you know, that potential storyline. And, and I don't see any evidence of that that's going to no. actually there's, take there's place. There's no evidence of that. No. I mean, that whole idea that Bashir was a superhuman, genetic superhuman, um, obviously he isn't. I mean, he's a superhuman physically as well as mentally. Right. But he's not as much of a superhuman as. Khan apparently and gosh he seems like a nice guy so <laughs> why why is all of the Khan era superhumans such a-holes and uh, Bashir at the very least and maybe some of his contemporaries because there are more people that had the stuff done than just um, than just Bashir why do they seem to have been able to fit into society Maybe they dialed it back a little bit. They were like, maybe let's not give them all the superpowers. Let's just right. give them a little <laughs> sure. bit smart. Yeah, just a little smarter, just a little better reflexes, and so they can win at darts and things. So right. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, anyways, right. wouldn't that have been a good? That would have been a good storyline, though, right? Don't you think? Yeah, that would have been interesting. But maybe that would have distracted too much away from the main main storyline because there's six issues already right so it's back to the idea that there's so many things they could have done with this you know they had to make choices what to go down right you know, what to include and not include but that would have been interesting yes I agree mm-hmm. alright and then my last uh, my last thing really about this issue aside from all the questions I have about the the, the new history mm-hmm. is um Spock keeps saying that he's never seen a Ferengi. They've never seen Cardassians. They've right. never seen Bajorans. Right. Um, I I don't believe that because and and we talked about this when the first nineteen two thousand nine movie came out or two thousand eleven whenever it came out the, the original reboot Star Trek. Right. Uh, Uhura orders a Cardassian drink. If they've never seen a Cardassian, then Ooh. how would she know to order that Cardassian drink? Ooh, that's so, interesting. Hmm. So that's that's strike one about him not knowing anything about this area of space. Well, strike two is that maybe they just made a mistake on which alien race to associate with that uh, that drink. <laughs> maybe. Well, it's a Cardassian sunrise or something stupid like that. I mean, it yeah. had its in its name. And then the other one is Mud was a Bajoran. So. They nobody acted like she was a species they'd never seen before then. So well, why are they now yeah. like, oh, this is a weird area of space with all these new aliens well, we've never seen? Yeah, that's a good point. Because if they would have gotten to Bajor, then they would have ran into Cardassians. No, exactly. that's, that's a very that's a very good point. I mean, okay, so there was no evidence that they would have seen a Ferengi before, I assume, right? No evidence of a Ferengi. I'll give okay, them that. But at least, yeah, good point. Good point about. Uh, Cardassians and uh, Bajorans. 
All right, cool. thanks. Very good point. <laughs> and my last important point, incredible uh, point, is Kira looks very cute in her Amelia Earhart, Earhart outfit. And with the long with, hair. Agreed. Yeah, and with the Han Solo blaster at her side. <laughs> Low slung. Yes. She looks really cute. Okay. Agreed. I'm going to agree with you on that one. No arguments. Okay, good, good. <laughs> That's all I have to say. All right. Then I shall uh, move on to the next. It's uh, issue 38. came out uh, October of 2014, entitled The Q Gambit Part 4. The uh, writer was Mike Johnson, art by Tony Shaston, story consultant Roberto Orki, letters Neil Yutaki, edits by Sarah Gatos. So the cover has Ducat in the background holding a stone tablet. Almost like, you know, Moses with the Ten Commandments. Uh, in the foreground, we see Odo, Uhura, and Q. And then behind Dukat, we see uh, various Klingon spacecraft. The uh, photo cover is uh, like a normal cast shot of Odo from an early season of Deep Space Nine. So the story starts off on Bajor with Spock, Kira, McCoy, and Quark looking at and discussing a stone tablet. Kira tells them that the tablet holds the spirits of both a paw wraith and a prophet. She tells them that with the help of the prophet, they might be able to overthrow the Dominion. Kira tells them that they are short a man now that Sisko is gone, and asks them if they're willing to join the rebellion. On Earth, standing in a pool of purple blood... Still seeping out of the now-dead wharf, Kirk and company are surrounded by changelings. They are all about to die, with Odo going first due to his seen betrayal of the Founders. When suddenly the roof collapses. The humans and Odo are able to dodge the debris, but the changelings are not so lucky and they are crushed. Through the hole in the roof is a Federation shuttlecraft of some kind. O'Brien opens the hatch and drops a ladder for them to shimmy up to safety. Somehow, everyone is able to ascend the ladder and board the craft, and then the craft is able to fly into orbit before any Klingon ships can intercede. Once in orbit, O'Brien docks with the Defiant, and Keiko orders them to leave at top speed. Flashback to Vajor. The Rebels are loading up a shuttle and are about to depart when Quark starts talking about how he is still just a merchant and he always sells to the highest bidder. With that, he opens the door and dozens of Cardassians arrive with Garrick in command. Outnumbered, they are now in the custody of the Cardassians once again, as is the stone tablet. In space near Earth, the Defiant is unable to go to warp. Scotty proves that he is indeed a miracle worker and is able to quickly trick the computers through a few fail-safes to trigger the warp drive and take them to safety. O'Brien is very impressed, and the two engineers start talking shop. Kirk is speaking to Sisko about their options and next steps when he suddenly fades away. He finds himself on the bridge of the Enterprise with Q. Q wants him to see just how hopeless it is for him to try to retrieve the ship, since there are Cardassians at every station. He tells the captain that he looks forward to Kirk's upcoming choice, and then he returns him back to the Defiant. Kirk asks Sisko for help in retrieving the Enterprise. Sisko says that he will have it, 
But first, asks if Kirk has ever been to paradise. Back on Terok Nor, Spock, McCoy, and Kira are brought before Goldicott. He gloats a bit about his good fortune, and then he breaks the stone tablet, despite Kira and Spock's warnings of the danger. Dukat says that this is the end of the old galaxy, and the birth of a new one, as red and blue lights wrap themselves around the Cardassian. To be continued. Yes, to be continued. Well, there is just all kinds of betrayal going on. So, I think, I personally think it is great that they allowed Quark to really be a true Ferengi in this. <laughs> yeah. And that, that is exactly what a Ferengi would do. Go for the money. He's got to sell to the highest builder. Exactly. I mean, he is a Ferengi. There's a profit motive, motive here. So, anyway. Yeah, I thought that was good. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, the whole Paul Wraith in, uh, in Dukat thing storyline is, is an interesting one from the show. So Right. It's kind of cool that they're going to revisit it and give it an extra spin with the uh, prophet being there as well. So what is the whole – I mean, how do they think they're going to get the prophet to do anything? I mean, it, generally speaking, in the interactions with the prophets, they've been quite aloof mostly to you know to the rest of the galaxy. Right. I don't know. I don't know how they were – how Kira was going to – I don't even know where she was going to take it. Yeah, well, <laughs> did, it, did it say where they were going? Well, no, they didn't say specifically. But you you were almost envisioning some kind of a scientific facility or something. Something with some equipment to try to do it a little better than just breaking it. And let let the spirits come out. <laughs> the only thing I was thinking is that maybe they were going to take it into the wormhole with, with Cisco, since it may be in this continuity, which he should be. He should still be the the, the emissary. You know, regardless of what else is going on in the galaxy, you know his, his mom was was right. a wormhole alien, so, right? Or somehow they were well, but a, in, yeah, in some worm, way she was a she wormhole was, alien slash prophet, right? Right. So I was I was thinking that maybe that's what they were going to do, and but then I didn't understand how she could do it without Cisco. Yeah, and maybe that was part of the original plan, but then maybe well they know that. They know that Cisco's been rescued, right? So maybe they were going to meet up with Cisco and, you know, do the extraction somehow. Who knows? Interesting point about you pointing out that it was Garak. Because I didn't see his name mentioned at all. But when you look at the drawing, you know, it, it does look like Garak a bit. Right. Um, but I was not 100% sure. But I'm not I, 100% sure either. But I figured, you know, come on. He yeah, has you a speaking line, and yeah, he if needs you to be could, in there somewhere. if you could put Garak in here, you want to put Garak in there because it's one of my favorite characters in DS9. Yeah, yeah. Now when he's talking about, you know, when when he's talking and there's that one one shot of him, you know, calling Spock a Vulcan, uh, that that to me looked like him enough that that I think it was him. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I liked how the. How the Defiant Shuttle was able to play a, a significant role in this story, in this issue. Yeah. How did it get there? What do you mean, how did it get there? <laughs> we saw in the previous, you know, wide shot of San Francisco that there's 
a dozen Klingon ships floating around the city at any given time. How did this ship make it to the Chancellor's throne room, break in, throw a ladder down, have them climb up it, fly away, and nobody stops them? Well, okay. So first off, they made it plain that everybody's cool with Cisco and the Defiant, you know, on the on the planet. So he, right. he's one of the buddies, you know, he's he's a blood, no problem. But uh, good point. Once they actually start blowing things up, I would think there would be some kind of a response. So good point there. But and then I was trying to justify it. I was like, well, how many of the clean? Maybe the Dominion over, you know, changing them out, you know replacing the Klingons with changelings, changelings is more widespread than just, you know, these guards and Kern. But even if that was the case, even the changelings would want to intercept the Defiant and, and and stop it. Well, yeah, if there were more changelings on there, definitely. But, I mean, okay, so what would happen if, let's say, the French <laughs> blew in the ceiling of the White House? We'd probably have something to say about that no matter what. So... I don't know. I don't know. They just didn't worry about that. My main point <laughs> is, you didn't get to see the Defiant shuttle do much in mo in most of DS9. Okay. So I I, I, I was kind of happy to, just to see it do something significant like that. Does the Defiant have a shuttle? Of course it does. Okay. Yes, it does. So I, didn't, I didn't remember that. It's just really small. Yeah, this little thing is small. Yeah, it is small. Um. It was great seeing O'Brien. We, you know, well, let's character. go back to the shuttle. Let's, okay. Uh, is it in the mo- It's in the show. TV show. Yes. Okay. They did use it not that often. Like I'm saying, they didn't use it that much. So I was kind of glad to see it do something significant. All right. So okay. Well, I, I did not remember that. Ergo, my point. They they only showed it a few times. They did, uh, it never really did much. All right. Cool. All right. Well, then I take back some of my earlier criticism about where the heck the shuttle came from. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, they, I mean, the, the Klingons rec- – I'm sure the Klingons recognized it as the as a Federation shuttle from the Defiant. Right. But, um, but yeah, I mean, if it's, if it's blowing a hole in the roof of the White House, I mean, <laughs> you know, you'd probably do something about that. I don't know. And it doesn't have transporters? It has rope ladders? <laughs> That's a good point. I, I would think, even though it's very small, I would think it would have transporters. Very good point. Very good point. And that, that is, that's a really good point because it does look like a rope ladder. I mean, like, like with wooden uh, foot things and, and two ropes, you know, m- making it up. I, right. I agree with that. Good point. I did like the joke there that, uh, you know, Scotty was like, Ahura, you go first. And and we know that she's wearing that short, short skirt. (laughs) (laughs) And then she's like, "Uh, no, Scotty, you go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I took that more of a sexist kind of thing. As opposed to Scotty wants a little view. (laughs) So, but that's a good point, though. I like that. That didn't even occur to me. Well, and I don't know if it was it was intended, but the, the, when they and threw I, a rope ladder down, and I think that just says something about you, maybe Donovan. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I just when I saw the rope ladder, I was like, she's not wearing the right kind of uniform to go up a rope ladder. Yeah, you gotta love those mini skirts, though. Okay, so speaking of Scotty, if you're done with that point, mm-hmm. yep. Okay, 
it's wonderful that uh, this version of Scotty is able to adapt so quickly to future tech, to future versions of the technology he knows and loves and mm-hmm. is an ace at. Uh, because it seemed like the point of the James Tuohan Scotty when he came forward in the the DS9 episode or not uh, TNG episode relics, it seemed like he was very much a, a fish out of water with dated technological knowledge. Right. So it's pretty cool that this Scotty was able to adapt so quickly. Yeah, but this Scotty has already gotten a little piece of the future thanks to old what? Spock. Who gave yeah. him some 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 transwarp beaming? But right. Well, that's the only thing that we know of, right? That we know of. And they, <laughs> probably talk, they probably talked to him in the background. So 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 old Spock. If I want to deal with a future warp drive that's on the Fritz, what do I do? Yeah, exactly. I'm sure that happened. <sighs> no, I'm with you. I, I'm I agree with you. Uh, so I mean that that's good. I mean actually, I was a little. You know, even though it was realistic, the beginning of that uh, that relics episode, uh, I felt story for Scotty. It's like he was the man uh, in his time, but he was like Jordy was treating him like he was useless, right? Pretty much. But then, doesn't he still kind of show yeah. that he can? He, he starts figuring st- some stuff out later on. In this, when when in the in the comic, when Scotty is doing his thing, I, I did like how. It shows that he's really thinking and not just typing on the computer like you often see in the Star Trek shows. Right. I mean, Kirk starts talking to him. He's like, uh, you're going to have to talk to me later because I'm calculating some big numbers right here. So yeah. <laughs> I, I really like that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and the look on Peg's face is very Peg-like. Yeah, the artwork in general, uh, Simon Pegg often has a kind of a, a Scotty in these books. You know, he looks like Simon Pegg, and, but oftentimes they draw him the Simon Pegg that's kind of making a weird face or kind of a comical face. Right. But uh, not so much in this issue, but some of the other ones that that was right. They're true, but definitely when he's trying, when he's telling Kirk to back off, he's trying to figure something out. That's a comical Simon Pegg face. So right. That, in that particular one, that's an example of it. But you're right. In most other places, no. So speaking of the art in general. Pretty good, huh? Yeah, I like it. I, I, I think all the actors look look like they should. The the ship exteriors look good. Uh, right. Sometimes the interiors, to me, look a little uh, muted, right? So. Yeah, again, some of the backgrounds, mm-hmm. uh, just background things, look low res. Right. So they didn't take they didn't take too much time to get all the backgrounds really uh, sweet looking. Yeah, especially when they were on the Enterprise in the in the earlier episodes or earlier issues, I thought that the the background oftentimes was just like a blanket color with just a few, you know, blobs, you know, to, to denote right. screens and things like that. Right. And quite frankly, in this issue, I mean, I'm I'm looking at that same panel where Scotty's telling Kirk to back off. I'm calculating. Um, you look in the background, and there's a lot of blobbish stuff. Right. So. Um, it does have a little bit of the paint by colors kind of look, you know, slightly different <laughs> uh, shades of quote flesh color, you know, Caucasian person flesh color and stuff. Right. Uh, that's just the style. But uh, very impressive that Tony Chastain is apparently covering uh, the pencils, the inking, and the colors. So that's pretty impressive that he's doing the whole thing. Yeah, and, and it uh, looks and it looks so good. 
It looks great, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, his his characters look spot on. Exactly. So the f- I think he's spending a lot of time on getting the faces right, which is very important. And, you know, the heck with the background. It can be a little more abstract in the background. And that's exactly where he should be spending his time. Right. right. Yeah, I- I'm okay with that style. It's just, it's not yeah. my favorite style, but it yeah. doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. Very cool. One thing that did bother me, you know, just speaking what? of coloring, it didn't bother me, but it's a nitpick. Yeah. Um, when Keiko's uh, Andorian crew member that oh right that's yeah. behind her, right? He has brown hair, so I've never seen a brunette. Oh. Uh, I've never seen a brunette uh, Andorian. Oh, so maybe he dyed it. Right. Good or maybe point. this is how we know it's the alternate future. <laughs> the Andorians look a little different. Hey, you know, sometimes people, you know, I mean, people color their hair. Maybe maybe the Andorians want to, too. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. Good point. I did not catch up, pick up on that. I definitely noticed that guy because he has a fair amount of detail to him, but I did not pick up the hair color. Right. But that's a, that's a very nitpick. Yeah. yeah. So, um... Just before the roof fell in, um, you know, as they were, uh, O'Brien was dropping the, uh, the, the, were they photon grenades? Is that what they photon. said? Yeah. Okay. Photon grenades. I love that. So as, as the roof was falling in, they showed only two changelings. Uh, so Kirk and Cisco and, and then the group were a little bit off to the side, but the middle of the room only had two changelings in it. Yet we know from earlier panels and later panels that there were three. Right. So I was a little put off by that. Um, if this thing was going to work and really take out all the changelings, you'd really want to show all three. Yeah, you good know, the, point. The, the, the Kern and the uh, two guards were all changelings, so there really should be three. Um, another thing that put me off a little bit is the idea that, um, you know, these changelings... I mean, in so many issues, it's uh, comic book issues. And I'm not just talking about IDW, but other um, Malibu and et cetera. Uh, Changelings are damn hard to kill. Sure. You know, they're they're either going gelatinous or going liquid or phasers just pass through them, whatever. And um, it just seems like all three of them died kind of easily to me. Uh, I agree. Yeah, why didn't they just turn into liquid and ooze out of this rubble? Yeah, right. Or turn into liquid when the the rubble came down. Right. I mean, right. were they? I mean, they something in the book. There's a sound going on, and nobody quite knows what the sound is at first. Um, and and the changelings are all looking up. So they already should be on alert because there's a sound going on. And then when you start to see the ceiling come in, you probably have enough time to actually say, ooh, I should go liquid or, you know, to react. Right. To it. But it didn't. And that's fine. Whatever. You got to move on. Because certainly at the end of the other issue was like, they got no guns. There's three changelings. And, you know, even one changeling has proven to be extremely dangerous and hard to bring down. How are you going to deal with three of them? Right. So, I was wondering how they were going to get out of it, but so roof collapse. There you go. Yeah, I wasn't the biggest fan of that. Uh, yeah, 
that that way to get out, but oh well. Right. They had to get out some way. Right. Okay, so definitely by this point, I was very um, unhappy with the fact, and this gets back to what I said at the beginning of the episode, how much Kirk and company are just along for the ride. So definitely this is where it was starting to really strike me how much Kirk and company are just being dragged along by ragdolls by like just about everybody else. And they're not doing anything or able to do anything about really affecting events, which was kind of annoying to me. Right, yeah. Spock, you know, he, he talks he talks a lot, but he's not yet done anything. No. And Yeah. And then I don't even – does McCoy even have lines in this issue? He's just kind of there in the background. Uh, I think he said a few smart butt things. But other <laughs> than that, not much, no. Or does he? Am I confusing it with another issue? Yeah, he might. I, I think he. I think he's usually saying something, which is usually just for a laugh. Or yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. He says, "Dominions, wraiths, prophets. I prefer the good old days when we just had to worry about Klingons." Right. Oh, and then he has that joke there. That was the joke. No, no. There's another one. Uh, Quark says. Confusing, I know. As my oh. wise old grandmother used to say, the more factions in a fight, the more profit in your pocket. And McCoy says, sounds like a charming woman. And then Quark says, Ferengi. And he says, Gazunite. So, <laughs> not the best joke in the world, but again, he's not really, he's not not saying anything of, of, of great consequence. Right. So you you think that um you think that Q's giving him a hint as far as showing him the ship and saying, Oh, you should not come here to save your ship. It would be futile to come save your ship. Because it's just odd that as soon as yeah, he came back it? from the future it come came back from that vision, he's like, We gotta go get the ship. <laughs> um that's a very good point. Um because that was the only reason uh, Q did that. Right. But, you know, quite frankly, so it, I'm looking forward to seeing what consequence that has. Good point. Uh, because, quite frankly, the ship doesn't seem to be able to defend itself, and it seems to be fragile enough that it, use, it loses its warp drive at the drop of a hat. <laughs> so, even if you got the ship back, I mean, what are you going to do with it? I don't know. Blows it up. Take it into the wormhole, blow it up, blow up the wormhole. Oh my god, Ooh. not that again. That again? <laughs> you know how much your I hate the idea of blowing... plot hole. Or your favorite <sighs> plot hole. Yeah, blowing up, blowing up uh, the wormhole with a ship. Yeah. So, did, did you think that Goldicott looked a little bit like uh, Charlton Heston there on the cover? From uh, ah! Ten Commandments? <laughs> yeah, from, yeah. Um, no. But I see your point. <laughs> I see your point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely that that tablet thing. So on the cover, that is a wrong, that is a Klingon ship in the foreground, right? Yeah. But what are those two in the background? Are those well? The, those are Jem'Hadar ships. Oh, those are Jem'Hadar ships. Those okay. are Jem'Hadar ships. Yeah. I'm kind of interested that they mix both. Well, I yeah, I was, and then I was like, well, maybe that's the the new ship design. Because I'll be honest, I'm not. 100% familiar with the the reboot design of the Klingon ship. I don't, you know, 
haven't played with the toys for 30 years, so I don't really <laughs> know, remember what they look like. So I was thinking, right. well, maybe that was kind of in that style. But yeah, it, it, no, that that looks like a normal TNG Klingon bird of prey. That looks like that a one, normal. Yes. I was talking about the ones in the background, the ones that I oh, thought oh, sorry, might have been. Uh, now the yeah, the, uh, I, I'm pretty sure that's pretty no, I think, close. I think you're right. I think yeah. it's pretty close to what TN, or Deep Space Nine had for the Jem'Hadar ships. Right. Uh, but they yeah, had some different designs sure. too. Yeah, and it was green, so I was like, the Jem'Hadar ships were usually like purplish kind of color. So yeah, I was I was 100 percent when I was doing the synopsis, so I just took a stab in the dark. Right, but it looks and, like I was wrong. And the other thing about this is. Um, Definitely the Klingon ships, as I think you mentioned at the beginning uh, of your comment, uh, in the reboot universe, don't look like, uh, don't do, most of them, they have some things like the wings, I think, have some things that are reminiscent of next gen, uh, some of the next gen Klingon ships, but really they do have quite a different look to them. And then even more so, the ones that are Naradaized. Right, right, like we saw in... Um... In the comic book, a few, a few right. episodes back. Right. So, I mean, which is between... what, which is what they look like when they went to when they showed that shot of the San Francisco Bridge yeah. in, in the thirty-six. I thought that they looked a little neuroticized. Right, and they are. But, but we don't see it... those in this issue. Uh, no, no, we don't. But we don't have a lot of Klingon ship activity in this issue either. But but we should, because they're blowing up the Chancellor's house. <laughs> <laughs> well, they just had to get out of there and move on to the next thing. <laughs> but but interesting how they did show, during the flashback, they showed Enterprise-E, or at least that style, or that class of Starship, whether it's the Enterprise or not, I don't know. But um, And that looked the same. And obviously, the Defiant looks 100% the same. So, kind of interesting that they chose to make the Federation ships, all the Federation ships we've seen so far, exactly the same as what we know and love from the movies and TV show, shows. But then we still get the, you know, comical moments where uh, they're referring to the old, the current, the new Enterprise as old technology, and yeah. and it looks more futuristic in the insides than anything. Yeah, <laughs> they did on TV. Right. Yeah, or the movies. Yeah, that's true. We don't have nearly as much lens flares <laughs> in the future. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, well, you know. that. But they've made some choices to make it a bit retro. Like, they still got clunky-looking uh, communicators in the reboot universe, so. And phases yeah. with moving parts. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But still, the phasers look kind of futuristic. I just wish, again, that they didn't make it shiny, shiny silver, shiny chrome. I that just plays think. well on the sh- on the screen, though. I I think it looks cheap. Hmm. Anyway, whatever. So, um, I, speaking of mixing uh, new and old, I, I do like when the Defiant goes to warp that it has the warp trail of like sparkly dust or whatever that like the Enterprise had in Into Darkness. Uh huh. I thought that was kind of a, a nice little merger of the oh, two. Oh, yeah, there you go. Okay, yeah. I, I didn't notice that, quite frankly. But 
Let me let me let me find that again. But yes, that that's kind of interesting. That's an interesting choice. So something like that, would you keep it consistent with the movies and TV show, or would you upgrade it for the reboot universe? Hmm, interesting point. And again, it's just a visual cue. That that doesn't mean that that's necessarily what it really looks like. Uh, really looks like like in real life. Yeah, like if there was a little probe <laughs> in real life there, would it really would they see this streak of uh yeah, particulate or whatever it is? Yeah. Just Maybe like not. would you would you see the rainbow coming off the Enterprise A? I don't know if you would. I don't I don't know that you would. I agree, but it sure looked good on that big screen back in the yeah. 80s or whatever, 90s, yeah, it whatever it was. 80s, I guess. Uh the well the rainbow thing was in 79. 70s. Yeah, when okay. Enterprise uh Star Trek motion picture. Yeah. But they still did the rainbow thing in the oh yeah yeah they kept second it all third etc yeah. Yeah, yeah all the way up to undiscovered country there you go there you go all right anything else that's my last comment except that I am looking very forward to finding out where all this leads yeah so I don't know for sure what episode we'll be doing that uh, right now we have it earmarked for 199 so you don't have to wait too terribly long episode okay. 199 we'll see we'll see. Well, we'll try to move it up if we can. Yeah, if we I'm, can. I'm, I'm we, really looking we of course, that. we haven't got the uh, the last comic, but... As of the So recording. we still have to get all of them. As of this recording, yes. Okay. All right. Well, with that, we'll close. Uh, next week, we start up, um, since we finished Marvel 100% now, we're going to go on to Wildstorm with Perchance to Dream, which is mm-hmm. the Next Generation miniseries. Mm-hmm. And we'll be doing the first three issues of that one. Cool. Yeah, definitely seeing all this uh, Deep Space Nine stuff uh, gives me a hankering for that time period. Right. Yeah, and then in episode 192, we'll be doing a Deep Space Nine miniseries, so yeah. you don't have to wait too long, and we'll be right in the thick of it. Yes, we will. Cool. And that the, the Deep Space Nine one I'm looking forward to because it is a post-season seven story. So oh. what happened after Bajor has joined the 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 Federation, yeah, and Cisco's gone, and and I think, Kira's in charge of the station, and exactly. So, <laughs> I, I and I've never read it. It's been sitting there. I've never never read it, but uh, I'm really looking forward to reading it. Cool, me too. Okay, okay. we'll okay. Get, get get going on next week. Okay, sounds good. Thanks for joining us, everybody. On the review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name stcomic. Second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.